Hi, everybody. My name is Erica. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm super grateful to be on this meeting tonight. I, this program has saved my life, and I'm always happy to give back whenever I can. Um, I am, to, to qualify, I have 16 years and about five months of abstinence out of a relapse uh, that happened 17 years ago. And I am a 100-pounder. Currently, I have a healthy body weight. Um, and that is by the grace of my higher power and not me. That is for sure. Um, I have relapsed twice in my time in OA. Um, the first time I came in was uh, in 1991. I was 19 years old. And I uh, worked the steps and had a sponsor and had a little bit of reprieve and some recovery. Uh, but I also let my, you know, I, I would technically be abstinent, but yet I would eat and binge within that abstinence. It's, um, I had a very, I was very talented in that way and still took candles, um, but yet by the end of, of that time, I felt very much like a fraud and very uncomfortable and ended up actually leaving for eight years. And then I came back in 2002 and I stuck uh, because I knew that when I was out on my own, I, there was absolutely no chance that I would ever get better or I would ever stop eating. Um, and I'm one of those people that just, I told myself I would never be thin, and yet at the same time, um, I believed that it would solve all my problems. So I was in this constant push-pull, desperately wanting to be thin, not never being able to lose weight, and getting back into program, you know, I knew that it was my only shot, my only shot. It was the closest thing that ever worked for me. And I, I did have the gift in those, those first five, six years that I, when I came in, of uh, going from being an agnostic to believing in a higher power and believing in God. And it happened in a meeting. It was probably the most, one of the most profound spiritual experiences I've ever had. And so those five years were absolutely not wasted, and they plant the seed, planted the seed for me that this was definitely the only thing that, that ever worked. And so I came in in 2002, and I once again knew I had to have a sponsor, that I needed to work the steps. I followed direction, um, and I had three years of recovery, three years of abstinence, and I had a fairly clean abstinence, but then I would still technically... I would, within my technical abstinence, I would binge. And um, right before my relapse, probably three or four months before, I took my will back because my body didn't look the way I wanted it to. I put a job before my recovery and was in desperate fear of losing that job. And so I went to hardly any meetings. Meanwhile, my sponsor was in the process of relapsing. Um, and I was in the process of relapsing. And I remember clearly, you know, it was, like a, it was like this perfect storm as it seemed on the outside that, you know, all these things came in to get me to break my abstinence. But in reality, the beginning of it all was me taking my, back my will and thinking that I could somehow manage and control my food, manage and control my weight, and that I indeed had step one down because I came into the rooms admitting I was a compulsive overeater. I have come to learn since then that I don't have step one down until I get down to my core, to my bones, that I'm powerless over food and I'm powerless over my weight. So um, 
I relapsed in a slow fashion, a slow burn, and my weight was creeping up, and then it, it was just an explosion. And it lasted probably, I thought it lasted 11 months, but then when I look back on the time frame, it was probably more like seven or eight months. And in that time, I, I never got up to my top, back up to my top weight, which is 250 pounds. Um, but I did get up to like 222, I think it was. And I stayed in the rooms and I let everybody see how wonderfully, painfully miserable I was. And for a long time in that, in those seven or eight months, I stayed quiet and I feed and I watched and I resented. Um, but I also kept coming back because I remembered, I remembered slightly, I mean, I was so, overtaken by the disease um, but I remembered what it was like to wake up abstinent and I saw the look in people's eyes that were in recovery that had that special spark that had that excitement for living and I was like oh my gosh I really I, I, I desperately there's a part of me that desperately wanted it but it took a lot of clawing my way back into recovery to get the scales to tip to where you know, only it only took 51% of the recovery to tip over the diseased mind because the disease had its hold on me to where I was under the impression that I couldn't survive without eating my binge foods, that I um, that I wanted and had to have those foods that were denied me for three years. And I would have days where I was abstinent, or I even had a few weeks where I was abstinent. But then I would once again eat because of emotion, because of discomfort, because, well, this was my chance, because I knew once I was abstinent again for good, I wouldn't be able to have all these wonderful foods that I had been, you know, that had been taken away from me. So it was very much in the diseased victim mentality thinking and I just remember I started sharing at meetings very openly about the fact that I couldn't stop eating and that I was eating before meetings and on the way home from a meeting. And um, I desperately was getting to that point where I really wanted abstinence to be the most important thing in my life. Now, years later, it's kind of a chicken, chick, does the chicken come before the egg? You know, is God the most important thing or is abstinence the most, most important thing? For me, if I'm not abstinent, then I have closed the door to my higher power. But I cannot become abstinent and maintain my abstinence without my higher power. So I suppose they are one and the same, at least in my thinking. And of course, all of this is my own opinion and my experience. But um, I just got to that point in coming out of the relapse where I became very desperate. And I remember saying in meetings after I got abstinent again, that the pain of recovery became less than the pain of eating. So me being in the food and eating to the point of being so sick I couldn't function and throwing the food in the trash and then digging it out and eating some more and then throwing it away and digging it out again hours later. Um, I remember one night I was I was to the point where I couldn't fit in any of my clothes for work. I worked in the bank, and I knew that if I had, I had one outfit I could wear, and that if I binged that night, I wasn't going to be able to fit in it. And guess what? I ate that night, and I can't remember if I figured out a way to wear something the next day, but I'm pretty sure I did not go to work 
And eventually in that relapse, I did have to go on a medical leave. And then eventually I had to quit that job because I was on the phone with a fellow and she said, your abstinence has to come first. You, if you cannot abstain through this job, you have to go. And it, it was very dramatic, and it seems like a very harsh thing, um, but it was actually one of the best things because I needed to get back to the place where program was the most important thing and not the desperation of losing, a, of like the fear and desperation of losing a job. Um, and it talks about that in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, whatever, I'm paraphrasing, but it says wife or no wife, job or no job, whatever I put before my program, you know, I, it's, I, it's just not going to work. And I have personal experience with that. Um, so I did get that beautiful gift of I will do whatever it takes to maintain my abstinence. And I don't say that in a way that I'm suddenly, like, able to control my food. It was more of I'm going to, I have to stop, and I did stop wrestling with it. I stopped being in the ring wrestling with food, thinking that this time I could somehow one-up the disease of compulsive overeating. And I always want to remember and always remind myself of a couple things. One, my disease wants me dead. And it talks to me in my own voice. It's very convincing. It tells me I need this food to survive. I need this food to show up in the world or to not show up in the world that I have to have this food in order to cope with life. I also have to remember that when I eat, it robs me of every single dream and hope and aspiration. It robs me of my relationships. It, it robs me of so, so many things. And um, so I'm grateful that I remember the pain of not being able to have a fulfilled life and on a very guttural level, I remember the pain of binging and the pain of, you know, really desperately wanting to abstain and not being able to and thinking that I'd never be able to be abstinent again. I mean, that was such, it was such a level of pain. Um, I think there's a trick-or-treater at my door, but I'm going to ignore that. Um, Anyway, so I became abstinent, as I said, a little over 16 years ago. And at that time, I kept asking people for people to sponsor me, people that I respected. And I was one woman I asked her three times because I so respected her program. And she was like, I'm full, Erica. Could you leave me alone? And I was like, no, 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 please. I need a sponsor. I need a sponsor. And, and she finally said, um, I have a friend who's just starting to sponsor. She works a really amazing program. How about the two of you, you know, talk and see if, you know, you can, you'd be a fit. And that was really a God moment for me because normally I'd want to know the person. I'd want to vet them. I'd want to, you know, meet them, blah, blah, blah. And this time I was like so desperate and I just said, okay, please give me her number. I'll do whatever. And I started working with her. And for the first time in all of my time in OA, I was willing to really follow direction. She asked me to go on a commercial food plan because I had never been willing to go on anything that resembled anything like a diet. Um, before, I'd always eat like no more than one plate and nothing in between, blah, blah, blah. But this time, I needed to learn 
what a what calories my body needed in order to be a healthy body weight. Um, and so fast forward to what my foods or my absence looks like today is I have, there's three parts to, to it for me. So the first part is that I, my abstinence is I eat nothing in between my meals. I eat three meals and up to three snacks. Um, I am hypoglycemic and those are, that's a doctor's order for me. Um, it seems to work better for my body. And so that is black and white. If I lick a spoon or have a little extra something uh, in between meals, I've broken my abstinence. It's very black and white, just like an alcoholic. If an alcoholic drinks, they have, they're no longer sober. If I eat in between my meals, I'm no longer abstinent. Then I have my food plan, which now I count calories, and the calories are arrived at by me and my sponsor. Um, I was gifted with a sponsor for eight years who was uh, had been a personal trainer, and so we got to work together a lot on what my requirements were. Um, but the point is that it was not in my hands, and it wasn't left to my thinking. Um, and then the third aspect is my alcoholic foods. They're not on my abstinence. I tried to put them on my abstinence before I relapsed. I think I had 20 foods listed on a card that I laminated, and I ended up eating all of those foods and then some. So laminating my binge foods on a card and calling myself, you know, calling those part of my abstinence absolutely did not protect me whatsoever. But I do have my list of alcoholic foods the top two are white and wheat flour. Actually, the top three are white and wheat flour and any recreational sugar. If it looks like a cake, a candy, an ice cream, I don't care what it's made out of. It could be made out of fluffed air. I will binge on it. And I, that is something I have not had in 16-plus years. Um, I tend to be different from many I hear of in OA and even from the way I sponsor where I was taught that your abstinence is perfect and your food plan is imperfect. But for me, I consider all three of them on the same level. So if I start eating Should an alcoholic Five minutes, thank you. Um, if I start eating an alcoholic food, I believe that I am in deep, deep trouble and I would most likely start my abstinence over anyway. It doesn't make perfect sense, but it has worked for me to have the utmost respect or all of all of the three legs of my food and my abstinence, um, and I also weigh and measure my food, everything except for uh, vegetables. And sometimes I weigh and measure vegetables as well, but that has worked for me. Um, and so, for the last five minutes, I, I do want to say that it's been an interesting time. Um, my life is incredibly filled and wonderful, and. I actually moved from Los Angeles uh, during COVID to Colorado. In fact, yesterday was my two-year anniversary here. I am in a relationship for the first time in 15 years with an amazing man who's also in recovery. Um, and we've been together almost two years. And then I have a mother who's in um, Los Angeles who has um, severe dementia and is pretty much a shell of a person and has a lot of behavioral issues. And, and it brings a lot with it a heck of a lot of pain. And what I've learned over these years of recovery is that there's nothing that is so painful that I'm going to turn to food. I have to turn to program and my higher power for it, for whatever. That is my, 
the tools in my toolbox are no longer food and anesthetizing and escaping. It's now face whatever goes on, whether it's my mother, you know, basically dying in front of my eyes or losing half of my friends during the COVID time, not to death, but from different outlooks and, and values and all of that, you know, to... I was chronically ill for eight years and was very, very, very sick. Um, none of those were reasons for me to eat because there's somebody I knew in program, her name was Sandy M, and she passed away, and she had, I think, 30 years of abstinence. And she died abstinent, and, it, and she didn't die in the best way, but she was such an inspiration to me because she held on to that abstinence of hers no matter what was going on. Because I've learned the hard way that if I'm eating, it doesn't, it just, it will destroy whatever hope I have of anything ever getting better. I'm very clear on that. Um, and one other thing that's up for me now is I'm, I just turned 51, and in this past year, my body put on 15 pounds, eating wonderfully, eating abstinently, weighing and measuring, reporting my food every night in a 10-step. I have three sponsors and three programs. I mean, and of course, I have my OA sponsor. And I have gone to nutritionists and doctors and talked to my sponsor and talked to, like, people I respect in program who have an amazing food, pro, you know, amazing recovery with food. And they've all told me I can't cut any food and that I'm exercising enough. They maybe have said, go lift some weights. That's it. And so meanwhile, I get to be still in a healthy body weight but yet, I can't jump in and go, okay, God, I'm pissed. I'm not thin, according to me anymore, um, and I'm going to take my will back. Thankfully, I've learned that God is taking care of it. This is not the end of the world. I'm following direction, and I keep praying for guidance. If there's anything I need to do differently, um, then I will do it. And you know, this is, I guess, life on life terms. It talks about acceptance in the big book on page 417. Acceptance is the answer to all my problems. It doesn't mean that I'm going to roll over and just, you know, ignore the situation. But I have also done everything I physically know how to do. And now I can also look at, is there, are there emotional things that I need to clean up? Are there amends that I need to make? I'm on step eight in, in two of my programs. What, Maybe there's more for me to do. Maybe there's more um, God I need to bring into my relationship with my mom. I don't know. But the point is, is that I am powerless. And I don't have the ability. I am absolutely broken when it comes to, to trying to lose weight, trying to control menopause, you know. And so I get to trust God, clean house, and help others. That's my job today and to show up in the best possible way I can and also love and accept myself because I am an imperfect human being. And there's so much more I could say, um, but I just, I guess that's it for my, for what I have to say tonight, but please always keep coming back. And that old adage, it works if you work it, it's always been true for me. However much I put into the steps and put into the program, that much more I get back in recovery. Um, and I will leave my phone number. Thank you. I'll leave my phone number. It's 
0192. And I'm in Colorado. That's Mountain Time. Call or text anytime. Thank you. Thank you, Erica. Before you go, would you like to suggest a topic? Yes, surrender. However you want to think, talk about surrender, surrender. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Uh, we're going to go into halftime. And uh, again, I'm Rena Orr, your moderator. And we can listen to the most recorded speaker tonight with Erica over the next 24 hours by calling 712-432-5203 with the same PIN number. Okay. The seven traditions states that each group is to be fully self-supporting. Donations help us live into this tradition. To donate, go to oa.org, click on Menu, scroll down until you find seven tradition contributions, and use the following code so this meeting will receive the donation. Tonight's code is Monday is 55131, 55131. Uh, okay. Really, I haven't stopped the recording. Oh, you're right. Thank you.